Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to episode number eighty-six of Conversations on India. And today we have a panel of three esteemed guests with us: Ayush, Krishna, and Siddharth. Hello, everyone. Hello. This is Ayush. Fantastic. Now, uh, today we have two topics lined up for us. Uh, one is uh, the Uniform Civil Code. Uh, there has been a lot of chatter around this, and uh, the Union Government is trying to create the atmosphere for introducing this bill. Eventually, we're going to look at all the facets of UCC, and then in the second part of the conversation, we are going to focus on the recent summit that was held between uh, President Biden and Prime Minister Modi. Uh, in the US, uh, it was a very landmark summit. There was lots of news coming out of it, and we'll dive into it in the second part of the episode today. So, uh, starting off uh, with UCC, uh, welcome to the podcast, and uh, let's uh, let's start with Ayush. You're up first. Uh, could you give uh, our listeners a broad overview of UCC, its purpose, and its implications? Okay, sure. Uh, so, uh, a uniform civil code or UCC is basically a set of laws that is applied to all the citizens of India, regardless of their religion or caste. So, basically, it seeks to provide legal protection and rights to the citizens, irrespective of their faith and community. The main objective of the UCC is to ensure gender justice, promote equality, and promote social harmony in the country. The Constitution of India, in its Article twenty-five. Guarantees uh, Article fourteen guarantees all citizens a fundamental right to practice any religion that they choose and provide them with the equal protection under law. Despite this, different communities have different sets of personal laws which are based on customs and traditions followed by those communities. These personal laws can be discriminatory against women, especially when it comes to matters related to marriage, divorce, inheritance, or adoption. This is the this is where the Uniform Civil Code actually comes in. It seeks to replace all the personal laws with a uniform code applicable for all citizens. This UCC will cover civil matters such as marriage, divorce, adoption, maintenance, and inheritance. It will ensure that everyone everyone has an equal opportunity to avail these rights without any description or prejudice. This will el- eliminate the need for separate courts for different religions and communities, as cases related to civil disputes can be resolved quickly and efficiently efficiently under one law. Moreover, it can also help in reducing gender inequality by providing equal rights to both men and women in matters like inheritance and property rights. This has been a subject of great debate all around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Ayush. Uh, now on to you, Krishna. Uh, could you take us through the history of uh, UCC and the landmark cases uh, that have fueled the debate around it? Yeah, Krishna. Over to you. आगे या सॉरी देयर वाज सम इशू इन इंटरनेट या ओके सो थैंक्स आयुष नाउ कृष्णा ओवर टू यू कैन यू टेक अस थ्रू द हिस्ट्री ऑफ यूसीसी एंड द लैंडमार्क केसेस दैट हैव शेप्ड द डिबेट अराउंड इट yeah so very nicely narrated by uh, ayush about the brief description of ucc thanks and now coming to the history and background part of it so the actually the concept of uniform civil code is rooted in colonial india so british authorities actually tried to 
create a uniform law for all the criminal civil and other matters but they specifically pointed that the personal laws of uh, the different communities hindu muslims parsis christians should not be codified as it will be a very lengthy process and there will be many community flare ups and also they had learnings from the 1857 first war of independence showed them that interference in religious and personal matters can be counterproductive for them so that is why they tried to stay away from the uh, concept of uniform civil code but that is actually the birth of uniform civil code so what they did not try to do uh, that is how it comes now the after gaining independence uh, in 1947 and after adoption of the constitution there was a big debate in the constituent assembly about whether to keep uniform civil code in part 3 that is fundamental rights or in part 4 that is directive principle of state policy and again there was a huge debate and different voices were uh, heard but ultimately the question was silenced by voting and in the voting uh, definitely the part 4 won so uniform civil code came into the uh, directive principle of state policy but then in 1951 Uh, actually a steering committee under dr b r ambedkar was set up to review the uh, committee report of dr b n rao who was the legal advisor of our constituent assembly of india and b n rao committee was actually framed in 1941 to create a uniform hindu uh, code of laws so their report was reviewed by the b r ambedkar committee but actually no further steps was taken and in fact in 1955 uh, or 1956 four different hindu civil codes were uh, legislated by the parliament of india and they were hindu marriage act 1955 hindu succession act 1956 uh, hindu minority and guardians act uh, 1956 and the hindu adoptions and maintenance act 1956 but these laws were only applicable to our hindus buddhists uh, jains and sikh communities and all other communities such as muslims uh, parsis christians jews they were kept out from it so this is basically the current personal law paradigm that different communities have different personal laws governing them so although the hindu code laws were tried to keep them progressive because uh, equal rights for women was tried to be given but since they only applied to hindus and not to other communities uh, the demand for a uniform civil code uh, remained and actually it was in different supreme court cases for example the 1985 shah banu case where a muslim woman uh, shah banu was denied maintenance from her husband after divorce as per the islamic law but the supreme court ruled in favor of uh, uh, the woman and granted her maintenance rights under the section 125 of the criminal procedure code and also directed the government to take steps towards framing a uniform civil code then again in 1995 in the sarla mudgal case uh, which involved a hindu man converting to islam to marry another woman uh, without divorcing his first wife and there again the supreme court criticized this practice and reaffirmed the need for a uniform civil code then recently uttarakhand government actually set up a justice ranjan desai panel uh, to study the implementation of uniform civil code in their state uh, at present only goa is the state which has a uniform civil code uh, that is same civil code for all its uh, in have uh, for all its residents uh, irrespective of the communities and a great step uh, for the liberty and equality was taken in 2005 when hindu succession act was amended uh, to give property rights to women as well so actually the women were elevated to class 1 heirs and granted equality with their male co-personaries 
so this is the basic background of uniform civil code and uh, law commissions have given different reports on it uh, some favoring it some saying it is neither necessary nor feasible but right now again uh, the issue of uniform civil code has been put up for public consultation by the current regime and that is where we are right now right uh, thank you so much for the uh, comprehensive and fascinating history of uh, the ucc in india and uh, it, it's definitely a history that's filled with uh, you know all of these events that have happened and all of them have shaped the debate today now i would like to come to siddharth and uh, talk about some of the implications of the ucc what would it mean uh, for social protection for simplification of laws and for gender justice um siddharth i think uh, you the uniform civil code has significant implications so the primary being the protection for vulnerable sections uh, uniform civil code can provide better protection to vulnerable groups particularly the women and religious minorities by ensuring equal rights and battles of marriage and inheritance so raj had already pointed out that an inheritance bill was passed in 2005 but still there is a difference of inheritance that can be taken up by women or hindu uh, per se with respect to muslims so uh, i'm not exactly sure but it is in the ratio of 1/4 by muslim women compared to equal in hindu women that is the first one uh then the simplification of laws by replacing diverse personal laws uh, with a single code the ucc will uh, simplify the legal system it will make it more accessible and understandable to all the best example in this case can be given of triple talaq uh, that was removed by the uh, honorable supreme court that was struck down no judgment so if there would have been a ucc there would have been a uniform civil code so it would have been both protecting the vulnerable section women and simplification of laws then there comes the most important issue of adherence to secularism ucc aligns with the idea of secularism ensuring that all uh, the laws apply equally to all citizens and it promotes a religion neutral legal environment so you cannot differentiate on the grounds of religion or claim special uh, powers after ucc has been uh, applied then gender justice the ucc could promote gender equality by ensuring men and women are governed by the same laws and it reinforces the constitutional guarantee of equality under article 14 that all are equal before laws so uh, fundamental right is going to be ensured if this dpsp is implemented so balancing these uh, benefits with respect for re uh, religion and cultural diversity that is a key challenge in this debate because india is a land of diversity now finding a commonality in diversity to ensure that these religious interests and the minorities rights are protected to ensure that we actually become a better democracy i think so ucc is needed but a discussion and consultation beforehand is it right uh, th thanks for that, that, that. yeah 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 uh, and uh, now uh, as we continue this uh, enlightening discussion uh, now i think uh, let's let's shift the focus to uh, some of the challenges that we might encounter while uh, trying to implement ucc and for this i would like to go to ayush Uh, could you explain uh, some of these constitutional and social hurdles in implementation of UCC? So yeah, okay. So we see that India is a land of diversity. We say there are multiple religions around us. So a uh, section of our society uh, sees it as ma uh, majoritarianism, which is basically under under the garb uh, majority majoritarianism under the garb of social reforms. Which in my thoughts is basically like when a common code uh, will be made. the rituals of majority will will have a more impact as uh, uh, another challenge which i feel is diverse personal laws uh, so basically uh, there are uh, communities like hinduism only which uh, 
where I uh, usually uh, from one part of India to another part of India, you see that there are uh, marriages of cousins which are considered sacred in southern part of India, while they are prohibited in the northern part of India. So we see this this type of informality in uh, Muslims and Christians also. They, there are five major schools of Muslims which uh, which differ majorly in the uh, interpretation of the uh, Sharia or the Quran, like how they uh, interpret uh, the uh, Islamic law. They they, di they differ majorly in that the five schools of Muslims: Hanbali, Maliki, Shafi, Hanafi, and the Shia school Jafri. So we we see that there is going to be this challenge like. Uh, how how will that be implemented against this thing? Uh, so there is uh, the constitution itself protects the local custom of Nagaland, Meghalaya, and that's not about just just those part. There are a lot of lo local rituals uh, uh, where the Adivasis are involved, so they tend to follow their own rituals. But when the UCC will be will be drafted, uh, they may have to just. Uh, Stop practicing those rituals because of their, you know, clash with some uh, particular uh, particular thing in that UCC. So the other thing is protection of minority rights. One of the main concerns raised by the opponents of UCC is the potential impact on minority communities. Personal laws are deeply intertwined with uh, religious identity and practices of these communities. Minority communities perceive uniform civil code as an encroachment to their right to uh, rights to religious freedom. Uh, previously mentioned about Article 25, which gives you the right to religious freedom. So they fear that a common code will neglect their traditions and impose rules which will be mainly dictated and influenced by the majority religious communities. Protecting minority rights and preserving their distinct practices is considered crucial in a pluralistic society like India. Uh, apart from all this, there is a misconception that uh, UCC is a measure to abolish Muslim law, which has been portrayed by, of course, some, some of their leaders also, which is commonly viewed as outdated and discriminatory against women. In its uh, authentic version, uh, Justice Krishna Iyer had once said that Islamic law recognizes the sanctity of family life. So basically, Islamic law is not entirely incompatible with the modern, modern society. So that's the thing. The divorce law of Islam is based on the concept of irretrievable, irretrievable breakdown of marriage. We, uh, we had a lot of debate of, around this thing also halala, which is basically uh, you can't retrieve, retrieve uh, a breakdown of marriage until the wife gets married to some other guy and that marriage is consumed and then they can um, remarry. So that the, that is a basically you know what what we, what we call it torn out rule of Islam or something. Uh, and after all this, there is also a constitutional hurdle, which is more of a constitutional glitch. That is, Article Twenty Five is there to provide you the religious freedom, while Article Fourteen says that uh, uh, all the all the uh, religion practices humans are equal before law. So it in itself is contradictory because uh, if you are following traditions of some some particular religion say then then there uh, there will be points where the that will be uh, clashing to the equality uh, as in, in the case of marriage we see so these are some of the main uh, hurdles in the implementation of ucc 
right thank you yeah uh, thanks for that ayush uh, and uh, some very key points raised around communal politics and around protection of minority rights which is where i would like to focus next so krishna uh, what are your thoughts on the potential of ucc uh, and the fear of minority communities that it might be a tool for majoritarianism yeah so the uniform civil code as an idea and theoretically can strengthen the nation's secular fabric by offering a framework for equality and non discrimination and simplifying laws for all the citizens regardless of their religious or cultural background so this simplification of laws aspect is also very key uh, for citizens to enjoy their uh, civic rights and even uh, their autonomy in personal uh, matters however Uh, minority communities have valid concerns that a ucc might impose majority centric norms or uh, compromise their distinct cultural and religious practices but in any sort of misconceptions or misunderstandings there is only one solution and that is communication uh, lots and lots and lots of communications and assurances by the government of the day to all the communities that uniform civil code will not aim to bring uniformity but rather unity and in fact imposition of uniformity can be uh, discouraging or can be counterproductive as you have seen in different cases uh, such as bangladesh or sri lanka so to to dispel the misconceptions uh, it is crucial that uh, it is communicated that the ucc's goal is not to homogenize practices uh, but only to provide a legal framework uh, that respects india's diversity while ensuring the fundamental rights of all citizens now this will be a tough task and very difficult to implement uh, practically but that is the challenge uh, we have in front of us ucc is not about uh, abolishing the personal laws entirely rather integrating the principles of justice equality uh, non discrimination and dignity across all the laws so if implemented sensitively and uh, very carefully it can respect diversity while promoting unity but that requires obviously uh, careful consultation and handling of these communal communal identities very sensitively and meticulous drafting uh, with respect to the different communities and upholding the rights of all communities also we have to keep in mind that not only the minority religious communities but also our tribal uh, communities they are also facing uh, some sort of fear uh, from this uniform civil code there have been uh, voices of uh, will show protests and will Uh, put out a dharna in against the uniform civil code in tribal belts like jharkhand nagaland etc and in fact uh, areas like nagaland and northeast they enjoy special protection under the article 371 where it is explicitly mentioned uh, that the personal laws and religious affairs will be under the direct control of the community of that uh, region so these intricacies also have to be worked upon but definitely as an idea it is good Uh, but how it is implemented and how it is actually drafted uh, that will decide uh, uh, what will be the implications yeah exactly right krishna the implementation is going to be key here uh, given india's diversity uh, we need to account for all of the different groups that we have and make sure none of their sentiments are hurt and we are not really yeah. trying to change the personal laws we are just trying to create a common system so that uh, you know delivery of justice becomes easier equality um, uh, is is most spread out now uh, on this implementation point i would like to go to siddharth and uh, uh, you know what are your views on how it should be accomplished so that it also aligns with the principles of a diverse and secular india yes so implementing a uniform civil code in diverse 
secular India, it should involve following steps according to me. The first one uh, already uh, pointed out by Krishna is inclusive consultation. So you have to engage representatives from all the communities to ensure that diverse perspectives are considered in the drafting of UCC. And it can be a piecemeal approach rather than being a sudden uh, complete UCC implementation. It can be a model draft UCC that has uh, common grounds and that has once been framed and more laws over time are added to that. So that came the first approach. After that, you have to ensure gender equality. So you have to emphasize equal rights and protections. You have to address gender biases present in some personal laws. And these gender biases are particularly present in marriage, divorce, and inheritance. These are the uh, most three prominent uh, gender biases that are currently present. We also have to ensure that the UCC so drafted is non-discriminatory in nature. It should apply to all citizens, regardless of the religious or cultural affiliations. So that will ensure non-discrimination and that is the true meaning of being uniform uh, in our country. And incorporation of diverse laws. So rather than erasing the personal laws, the UCC should incorporate their elements in line with the constitutional principles. And we have to celebrate India's diversity. So we are not questioning the India's diversity. We are just trying to find a uniformity in that diversity. And we also have to ensure that legal consistency and universal rights protection is also provided. So this is going to be a gradual sensitive process. And that is going to create a code that uh, embodies justice, fraternity, and equality in line with Indian constitution. You know, one quote before I conclude this comes to my mind is that of a sociologist, Andre Bitte, who states that, uh, you know, it is the direction, uh, law, is, law basically decides the direction in which society should move. But it is, it is actually the culture that decides the direction in which society actually moves. So there needs to be an internalization of this culture where there's this discussion around UCC and that is only when the society can progress in this direction. And I think so that is the foremost and the most important step in this implementation. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for the wonderful quote, Siddharth. And uh, I think, uh, uh, thank you all for the thought-provoking discussion. Any uh, last thoughts on this before we close this topic? Yeah, so uh, let me just open this. And uh, definitely like a very thoughtful quote by uh, Siddharth, uh, quoting the famous anthropologist. My take would be on UCC that like there is a special marriage act uh, separate from all the different uh, marriages act of different communities. Similarly, there can be a uniform civil code coexisting with all the different personal laws. So if someone wants to follow the uniform civil code, they can get their things registered or uh, performed under the uniform civil code. And if someone has a very sacred or like if someone does not want to follow that, then they will have their own uh, personal community law or their personal uh, uh, board whatever they have so this distinction can actually allow a flexibility for those who want to adopt a uniform civil code and those who do not want to adopt a uniform civil code so this can be a bridge uh, towards a common uniform civil code in the future but definitely we cannot elevate directly to a uniform civil code and eliminate all the existing personal laws that we have and we have to find a middle ground and i feel that um, a separate uniform civil code that is optional for people uh, that can be a way forward right so the point of optionality being raised by krishna here uh, which is i think it, it, it may be tried for a few years before we uh, start to go into it uh, you know full steam ahead uh, just to see uh, how the community reacts and uh, it always gives an option to people to opt out of it if if, if they don't feel yeah. like it so uh, yeah it's, it's definitely valuable like the old tax and new tax regime that we have. Right, right. Of course, of course. 
<laughs> anyway, right. all right. I also uh, have okay. Okay, so I would like I would like to add a point. Hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Siddharth first, and then Ayush. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I would like to add this point that uh, in the case of UCC implementation, the major uh, majoritarianism, the majority, uh, the majority people, be it in terms of religion, be it in terms of say gender perspective or even in terms of sexuality because now uh, now that uh, you know gender identification sexual orientation has become uh, non binary now we have a range of sexual orientation so it is the onus on the majority to act as an elder brother and give uh, more ground and more uh, i would say Space. freedom to the minorities in all the sense yeah exactly in all the sense to come up and have an accepting view uh, rather than an imposition of their own view only then can this be a true uniform civil code so i think so that is also one very important thing that needs to be kept in mind particularly by the majoritarian uh, people and the group that you have to give freedom and that is the true essence of democracy right thanks so that siddharth and right so uh, with that uh, we have come to an end uh, come to the end of the first topic and now we'll move on to the second topic all right so uh, Hey everyone, uh, we're back with the second topic and now we're going to discuss the Indo-US ties, especially after the big summit that was held between the leaders of the two countries. And uh, to do this, uh, let me uh, first start uh, to unpack this and I would like to go to Siddharth first. So uh, the floor is all yours. Why don't you uh, give us an overview of uh, what happened and what were the key points? So the context is that uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi and President Joe Biden, they met on 22nd June and they affirmed a vision of India and United States as the closest partners in the world. Uh, and it was quoted as a partnership of democracies looking into 21st century with hope, ambition and confidence. So uh, they had discussed a lot of points, the primary being the collaborative projects and that uh, was across sectors such as space, technology, semiconductors, telecom sector, artificial intelligence, uh, scientific research. They also focused on the importance of ICET, that is the Initiative on Critical and Emerging Technologies, and a cooperation between NASA and ISRO in the form of uh, NISAR aperture radar being formed, and further collaborations such as training of uh, Indian uh, pilots and uh, astronauts. Another very important thing uh, that was concluded in this that was that India has accepted to become a part of Artemis Accord. And also India has been uh, granted the partnership of mineral supplier group. That is a major minerals, uh, critical minerals supplier group led by US uh, because particularly the major minerals as of now are dominatingly controlled by China. So that was a grouping that was formed way back and India has been granted a membership. So now we'll be discussing on these aspects. This was the broad overview as to the discussions that were primarily held. Right. Uh, yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, absolutely. Uh, th those were the key points that were discussed. And uh, often we see that, uh, you know, partnerships that the US makes with other countries, they start with defense partnerships and basically alliances that in case of war, uh, US will be defending them and so on. But uh, in the case of India, this partnership has uh, is, is leading with technology. So technology is really the first leg on top of which this partnership stands. And uh, the, that is what I would like to uh, sort of double click on. And uh, coming to Krishna here, and uh, let's actually start with space. And uh, so can you throw some light on uh, all of the agreements that were uh, you know, signed 
in especially in the category of space technology yeah so first and foremost india and isro and nasa had started their collaboration with nisar satellite uh, that was nasa isro synthetic aperture radar and it was basically an earth observation satellite where both the organizations were almost equal partners isro was also providing some key technologies and nasa was also providing uh, uh, some radio band frequencies uh, which were to be used in satellites so after that now india has signed the artemis accords so artemis under the artemis accords actually there will be return of the humans on the moon and uh, nasa is planning to send one woman and one person of color to the moon in the recent future and it is inviting all the international partners to collaborate with it on this mission also private sector uh, exploration of the moon will be promoted under the artemis accords so that actually creates a new field for uh, explorations and uh, resource extractions and uh, new technologies development then there is this icet uh, which is the initiative for critical and emerging technologies uh, between usa and india that has been signed and it is actually being run by the national security councils uh, of both the countries so under this icet there will be six areas of cooperation which are the really emerging technologies such as uh, quantum and artificial intelligence defense innovation space advanced telecom 6g and semiconductor so these are some of the sectors that will be in focus under the icet also there are plethora of different uh, uh, ties in, ties or agreements in different uh, sectors such as in defense there is indus x uh, which is a special partnership between india and us uh, to prom- to promote defense innovation and engagement uh, also there have been uh, the signing of the four foundational agreements uh, between india and space in defense sector uh, which were lemoa becca comcasa and jisomia uh, uh, so these were the four foundational agreements that made india uh, like a major defense partner of uh, us so these are some uh, sectors where india and us have definitely moved uh, a long way uh, but definitely uh, the key aspect again is how these agreements and these mous will fare in the future um, what role isro plays in the artemis program and what are the critical technologies that india receives from us so actually there is one more that uh, the signing of the fighter jet deal between india and us under which uh, india will get uh, general electric f414 jet engines uh, and around 80% of the technology will be transferred to india so these are some key agreements that uh, literally put india and us as an equal partners uh, in the emerging sectors especially defense and space and uh, the ground is very fertile for both the countries right now right yeah but thanks krishna for the overview on the technology agreements uh, especially in the space and the defense sector and now i would like to go to ayush and uh, could you delve into these technical uh, technological investments a little bit further and uh, what, what do they mean for these two countries especially in the area of semiconductors and uh, 6g networks uh, okay so uh, first of all i would like to bring your notice to this uh, Uh, MOU signing of uh, semiconductor supply chain and innovative partnership between the leaders of two countries. Uh, this ha- uh, this is being seen as a significant step in the coordination of a uh, uh, of the country's semiconductor incentive programs. We also see that semiconductor industry was totally you know crashed by Chinese through through their uh, you know through Taiwan. 
Uh, due to the signing of this MOU, uh, uh, there's a huge breakthrough uh, in for, for semiconductor industry or for India. So the leaders also welcomed an announcement uh, by Micron Technology, which is obviously the US-based uh, uh, corporation, uh, to invest up to $825 million to build a new semiconductor assembly and test facility in India with support from the Indian government. Of course, uh, this this uh, investment is around for 40 percent of the total investment uh, it's not the complete investment for the project the rest will be provided by the indian government uh, the combined investment valued uh, is valued at 2.75 billion dollars uh, that would create a uh, 5000 direct jobs and 15000 you know community jobs uh, opportunities in the next 5 years in india this is a breakthrough although we are not going to manufacture any, any of the semiconductors or uh, that thing, but uh, still it remains a breakthrough in, uh, for, for the India. So the leaders also welcomed a lab, uh, lab research proposal to train 60,000 uh, Indian engineers to its solution virtual fabrication platform to, excel, uh, to accelerate India's semiconductor education and workforce development uh, goals. The next big thing was this uh, ambitious vision for 6G, uh, 6G networks. Uh, through TIG 6G, the Technology Innovation Group on 6G, uh, set by the Department of Telecommunications, in turn constituted six task forces with industry, academia, R&D institutions, and government as members on multidisciplinary innovation, uh, innovative solutions. Multi-platform next generation networks spectrum for next generation requirements. Uh, through this uh, India-US uh, relation, uh, relationship, Apart from this, there, there were major, you know, major, uh, major invest investments in uh, quant quantum coordination mechanism. Uh, as we see, the next uh, next decade is going to be for for quantum only. So that that I, I think that is a uh, huge plus uh, for this relationship. Right. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, there's lots of uh, you know attention going towards that semiconductor uh, deal, uh, which is signed between Applied Materials and. Uh, Micron technology and uh, this actually uh, means 800 million dollars of FDI into India and uh, Ayush uh, rightly mentioned it was uh, north of 2 billion dollars of total investment. What this will do is insert India firmly into the semiconductor supply chains and especially with the environment around Taiwan heating up and uh, Taiwan itself, TSMC itself is moving its semiconductor fabs out of Taiwan and into the US. And I think uh, with this move, India also inserts itself into that same supply chain and uh, we'll be able to manufacture uh, semiconductors, not only for domestic needs, but also uh, export them internationally. So this is great news. Now let's turn our attention to defense and uh, clean energy initiatives. And uh, for this, uh, Siddharth, can you please help us guide through uh, the defense aspect of this? Right. See. When it comes to United States, you have already pen, uh, mentioned that defense is going to be a very important thing. So yes, when it comes to India, uh, US defense leagues. So India and US, they are major defense partnerships. They have a annual two plus two ministerial dialogue. We do have joint exercises being taken up, the Malabar exercises alongside uh, Australia. We have uh, liaison officers in each other's military organization. Uh, you know, better the information sharing. Raj Krishna has already pointed out the four uh, basic agreements that are signed uh, between India and USA. We are also a part of Quad, the grouping of four. 
so india australia japan and uh, india uh, and apart from that there is a new court that has also been formed that is particularly pertaining to the west asian sector of israel uae india and uh, us also referred to as i2u2 so it is uh, leveraging markets to be more innovative inclusive science way so this is one apart from this now the leaders have welcomed the adoption of a uh, defense industrial uh, cooperation roadmap so it is going to provide policy directions to the defense industries and it is going to enable uh, the co-production of uh, advanced defense systems prototyping their testing so it, it is going to be by the means of technology transfers uh, and uh, joint collaboration in formation of new products uh, rajkrishna had already mentioned about the gef 414 jet fighter engine deal uh, and hcl uh, they are going to be used for the hindustan aeronautics limited uh, lca mk2 india is also uh, uh, you know india's uh, emergence is a hub of maintenance and repair because we are expert in that sort of work so us has recognized that work that india can be a very potential hub for maintenance and repair of its defense equipments so that in a way is going to give multiple jobs in indian sectors apart from boosting our own defense capabilities and also Uh, re-engineering from the basic uh, product, so we have concluded the master ship repairs agreement uh, in that that context with the US. And uh, Indusex has also been pointed out by uh, Raj that is going to be launching of India US defense acceleration ecosystem. And in this, startups and industry uh, and think tanks they are going to facilitate in co-production of technologies. And there was also a very ambitious plan that has been uh, welcomed to procure General Atomics MQ nine B. So these are a class of UAVs. Uh, that are going to enhance our ISR, that is the intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance uh, capabilities. So, in general, these are the major defense deals as of now that have been taken uh, into consideration. So, what I see is more technology transfer, better collaboration and formation of next generation technologies via the ICET generation, and recognizing of India as an equal partner, where US can, uh, on which US can trust. You know, it can send its machineries to be repaired. Uh, which they know that India can re-engineer, and the manufacturing of Indian uni- uh, the U.S. Uh, technologies in India, quantum technologies, because next era is going to be uh, that of a technological war. So I think so. This uh, displays the bone homie between the nations that uh, it is going to the next level. Right. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Siddharth, for uh, throwing light on the defense technology partnerships. Uh, apart from these technology partnerships, India also conducts multiple uh, defense exercises uh, with the U.S. It's part of international groupings uh, alongside the U.S. So I I only see this partnership deepening uh, as we go into the future. And uh, you know, uh, this summit has set up a great uh, you know some great deals have been signed here, and these will. uh help us uh, get closer to each other as we move into the future now uh, coming to krishna and the clean energy front so uh, krishna can you throw some light on uh, the key points that were agreed on uh, in this meeting yeah so clean energy has been on the agenda table between U- india and us for long in fact uh, clean energy and decarbonization was also uh, a separate pillar under the indo pacific economic framework uh, which india joined last year but recently actually there have been great strides uh, towards this uh, uh, field so strategic clean energy partnership was launched uh, by us and india and under this partnership there is an agenda 2030 partnership uh, where bilateral cooperations will be created on uh, to meet the goals of paris agreement so the agenda 2030 is basically to meet the paris agreement and us and india will bilaterally 
together try to achieve it and there are two main tracks under this the strategic clean energy partnership and also the climate action and finance mobilization dialogue so actually climate finance is a huge uh, bone of contention between developed and developing countries and india is uh, negotiating it with us uh, on behalf of the global south also india has elevated the indo us energy dialogue to the strategic energy partnership uh, back in 2018 Uh, then actually the beginning of this uh, clean energy partnership can be said to be uh, to from the nsg waiver that us granted india uh, during the 123 agreement uh, between india us uh, civil nuclear deal uh, which was signed in 2008 so that was the beginning of uh, clean energy partnership between india and us and also there has been a set, a setting up of india us low emissions gas task force Uh, decarbonizing the transport sector in india uh, dtii that is that is uh, uh, being done by the niti aayog from india and uh, similarly the respective organization in the us also there has been a pacer initiative so partnership to advance clean energy initiative uh, it is anchored by the indian side by department of science and technologies so these are some of the uh, agreements and collaborations in the clean energy sector by india and us and definitely the anchor is the strategic clean energy partnership that has been signed recently uh, by both the countries right yeah uh, thanks thanks for the overview krishna uh, on the clean energy front uh, uh, the deal uh, the us aid support to make indian railways uh, net zero emitter by 2030 is uh, you know another highlight coming out of this and india being the only country that's uh, that's held good on its uh, paris goals is, is is also another thing that i think the us really appreciates and uh, going forward uh, i can see india becoming a leader uh, in the clean energy front uh, given that we are a hub for solar energy uh, because we are a tropical country and uh, we we don't really have access to uh, hydrocarbons so that uh, puts us in the key spot to uh, really go uh, full steam ahead on the clean energy front right so now uh, coming to the last uh, topic of discussion today and uh, for this i would like to go to ayush and uh, let's discuss the nuclear power domain and uh, some of the geopolitical concerns that were raised in this meeting so uh, so there uh, there was a, a long time the negotiations were going between uh, the uh, npcil and uh, the american uh, uh, electric company westinghouse electric company to be specific Uh, for the construction of uh, six nuclear reactors in 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 India, so now uh, uh, it uh, it has been like almost uh, certain uh, after this uh, meeting that they will be setting up uh, six nuclear reactors in India. Uh, apart from that, they welcome the intensified consultations between the US DOE and India's DAE for facilitating opportunities for this electric company to develop a techno commercial offer for the Kovada nuclear project. Koda nuclear uh, power plant is an announced nuclear power plant in uh, Ranasalam, Srikakulam, Andhra Pradesh, India. Uh, apart from this, the United States affirms its support for India's membership in the nuclear suppliers group and commits to uh, continue uh, engagement with the like-minded partners to uh, uh, advance advance uh, their their goals. So, uh, apart from this. Uh, talking about the current geopolitical scenario see the, there was a conflict going on between uh, russia and ukraine so both the leaders took uh, deep concern over the conflict uh, in ukraine 
and mount its terrible and tragic humanitarian consequences. Uh, so both the countries have pledged to uh, render continuing humanitarian assistance to the people of Ukraine. First, both countries concurred the importance of post-conflict reconstruction in Ukraine. Of course, both 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 of the countries on their own have some some of their concerns with Russia. Also, as India is buying a lot of mineral oil from Russia, and US uh, was concerned about this, but uh, for for that this meet the agenda was to set up a more humanitarian society against uh, again uh, in the Ukraine thing. Uh, apart from Ukraine, there was a uh, Myanmar concern. Also, there uh, there was a transition uh, of Myanmar towards an inclusive federal democratic system. So the leaders also appreciated that thing. The leaders also con condemned the destabilizing ballistic missile launches of the uh, of the North Korea, which violate relevant uh, relevant UN Security Council resolution and pose a grave threat to the international peace and security. They reaffirm their commitments to the complete denuclearization uh, of Korean Peninsula and urged the North Korea to comply with its uh, obligations under this resolution and engage in. Substantial uh, dialogue. So we uh, see that this meet was geopolitically really, uh, very important, where uh, the big concerns in the world were discussed. Of course, everyone has their own, you know, benefits from some other countries. But for for this meet, the agenda was to be specific around that only. Right. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much apart for your points. This, uh, yeah. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Uh, Apart from this, there, there was one more big highlight uh, that was uh, India-US trade, uh, so uh, which uh, which has been almost doubled since 2014. Uh, and apart from just this doubling, uh, that uh, India was in trade deficit of 22 million uh, billion dollars in 2014, while the last uh, financial year, India was uh, was in a surplus of 32 billion dollars uh, in the U in the US. Uh, uh, Trade, trade and investment partnership. So I see that as a big plus to the India. Yeah, uh, ex excellent points uh, there, uh, Ayush, both on the geopolitical front as well as on the trade front. Uh, you're right, the bilateral trade has reached 191 billion as of last year. And uh, the US is India's biggest trade partner, which is uh, you know another uh, point uh, which brings the two countries closer. Also, there was a huge acquisition of planes done by Air India as well as yeah. Uh, by Indigo uh, from Boeing, uh, which is an American company, and it's going to create jobs in America. So all of this is great news. And uh, with, with that, uh, I think we can wrap up this discussion uh, between on the Indo-US ties. Uh, thank you so much uh, to all of our audience for sticking with us uh, through this episode. Uh, and uh, thank you to our esteemed panel uh, for uh, showing up and sharing their terrific insights. And uh, Ayush, for you, this was your uh, first appearance on our show. So hopefully uh, it was a good experience for you and you got things to learn. And uh, thanks for uh, coming on. Yeah. And as always, thanks to Panda and Krishna as well. And uh, now I think that time is right for Krishna to... <laughs> yeah, so the views are personal. And uh, thank you again, Vyas, and everyone for having us. And thank you, our listeners. So see you in the next episode. Thank you, Ayush. Thank you. Uh, see Thank you again you. in the next episode. All right. Awesome, guys. With that, episode 86 in the books. Catch you all next time. Take care and have fun. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.